from Sydney Media in Melbourne. You're listening to Great Minds Don't Think Alike, a podcast all about neurodiversity. Hi, you're listening to Great Minds Don't Think Alike, a podcast all about neurodiversity. You're with me, Christian, at the moment. And me, Daniel. And Christian and I will be talking about dyspraxia in relation to Daniel Radcliffe. And Daniel will be doing a film review. Yes, a film review of it called Niagara, Niagara. That's the name of the film, not the review, obviously. And basically, that's a continuation of the Tourette's film theme that Christian inaugurated with his review of Front of the Class. And we'll also be talking about seeing the autism community, not as an island, but as a community that can actually relate to other communities on more issues than perhaps people with autism recognise. So if you have not already done so please do like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash greatmindsonsin. It's well worth it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's some fascinating articles that come up on that. Uh, We're also on Twitter at GMDTA Media. And we've also started a blog at gmdtablog.wordpress.com where we're accepting work from anyone under 30, Uh, anyone who has something to say regarding neurodiversity, no matter what their level of uh, or their kind of experience of it might be, please read the submission guidelines on our blog and email your work to gmdta.media at gmail.com. Feel free to express whatever you want if you want to write something for our blog. It's free for all, so if you come up with any ideas, write whatever you want. Hi, this is Daniel and Christian again, and we're going to be talking about dyspraxia and its relation to some to certain people, such as Daniel Radcliffe. Yes, so, namely Daniel Radcliffe. I actually only recently found out that he had dyspraxia. I've known for a few years, I'll say. But... Yeah, oh yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's probably only news to me. But I do remember watching a behind-the-scenes of one of the Harry Potter movies where he was talking about the fact that he, he couldn't do up his own buttons or tie up his own cape or he needed he always needed help with his costume and he just kind of said uh, brush it off by saying like oh never ask an actor to do anything practical but um <laughs> but I didn't yeah uh, which is kind of true but I I didn't realize that he also had the, sort of the classic dyspraxic trouble of tying his own shoelaces so dyspraxia is uh, a lot of people sort of think of it as, as like the coordination physical co- um, equivalent of dyslexia so it basically it impedes your um, your fine and gross motor skills, your spatial awareness, your motor coordination, and also it, it also relates to like remembering a long list of instructions and coming out with them and just sort of general information processing well, speed. Well, I- I have to say, I mean, when I first read about it, they didn't call it dyspraxia. I just heard he had some kind of brain disorder that impeded his ability to, say, tie his shoes, which I have great difficulty with, actually. I wouldn't be surprised if I had a case of this. I've never been diagnosed. but I... Oh, but you have um, dysgraphia, don't you? Oh, I have dysgraphia, yes. Yeah, so that's um, that, oh, that, that's also the way that dyspraxia yeah. can present itself. So um, I, I will just say that dyspraxia and dysgraphia, they probably go, they're very common in people on the autism spectrum, I would say. They go... Mm, and what is dysgraphia? That's a handwriting problem that I have. Basically, I have very, very messy handwriting. Some letters are bigger than others, even if it should be the other way around. And my hands get fatigued very easily if I'm writing for a while. So when a teacher was writing something down on the board and we had to copy, I had great difficulty with that, which is why it's into type nowadays at TAFE. And I did my exams on computer because I there was no way if I was going to handwrite it, I would be able to finish it in time, nor would I be able to fit everything I was writing on the page because I had rather big handwriting. So that's another condition that doesn't get enough attention, actually. 
actually. And so yeah, so just dysgraphia is very relevant here because I, I have the same symptoms when it comes to handwriting, but because of my dyspraxia, not dysgraphia. So there's quite a that, mm. that's a definite commonality there, and that's that's also something that Daniel Radcliffe does experience. But so, you see, I also have I can't tie knots to save my life, to be honest. So oh yeah, I so have that problem too, and I didn't learn to tie my shoes until well into primary school, and even today I can't tie them the way others would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what really. I guess is frustrating about it is, is aside from sort of the practicality of it taking you longer to do certain things is is just that it kind of affects the way way people take you seriously the way people see you because mm. not being able to tie your shoelaces or being clumsy with dressing yourself being clumsy with uh, eating or a- any of the day-to-day mm. things people always associate with kids because mm. they're still learning that kind of stuff oh I'm, um, a, I'm whereas, a very messy eater um, whereas when they see an adult do it to them it's it's usually a sign of oh that's a very immature adult again going back to Daniel Radcliffe I've read um, it being one of the main reasons why he, he, he used to drink a lot oh really which, yeah be, because that sort of it was a cover for his clumsy it gave him an excuse. It's, oh, oh I'm not dyspraxic, I'm drunk, um, <laughs> was kind of the, the impression it, could, it will give people. So it was a, it was a convenient cover for him. So that, that's, yeah, that's, 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 a, that's one reason because for him it wasn't just the coordination, but uh, and I, I can also relate to this, but it's, it, it also gets into some of the, uh, the general mental, mental processing, things like processing of a lot of instructions at once or getting your ideas down on the page even if you can type at school. So... Mm. That's that's certainly something I did find that I knew what I wanted to say, but I took me ages to to think of how to say it. And in a classroom situation where you have to get these answers out quickly, it, it can really be rather rather frustrating and mistaken for sort of a, a misunderstanding of the concepts that you're supposed to be learning. Well, uh, I should actually mention I've done a lot of performance on stage in the past, and as for the costuming thing, I re- I remember despite. Despite my coordination problems, I I remember that I was doing a production of Tarantara Tarantara, and which was a, a production that required a lot of costume changing, because every scene was basically a different a different time period, a different show. So, and at one point, I had to change from a critic's outfit into a into a knight in, into a knight's outfit. So I had to wear I had to wear fake body armor, fake mail, and have a sword on and. And I, I remember it was a nightmare, but oddly enough, I, mani- I managed to do it, which I remember was a big surprise to some because some people noted I had trouble dressing myself and, and one, of the, one of the principals even opted out to doing a particular scene because he was worried he was going to have trouble with it. And yet somehow, despite my coordination problems, I managed, but only just. I, I can remember I was very impressed myself by myself with that. So clearly... Clearly, if if you're if you've got enough adrenaline, you can actually sometimes adrenaline can actually counteract a condition like this. I reckon. Um, adrenaline. Oh, I I don't, I can't say I really know about that. Like maybe um in in certain situations you do sort of, I guess like you you learn to trust your instincts more. It becomes a little bit clearer. To you. It's it's a it's a little bit like this is something you know, I think um, most everyone can relate to is that thing of. If you don't think swallowing, if you don't think about the action of swallowing, it it's very very it just it just happens. Whereas mm. if you think hard about the particular movements that you're making, it's very very difficult. So, I've never I've never had trouble swallowing, so I can't say. But oh yeah, but you know, try really thinking about you know tr- try swallowing on the spot and thinking really thinking about what the movements are involved, and it all of a sudden becomes 
really, really difficult. Well, harder, so, I'd say. I'd just tried it then, as you said that, to be honest. Yeah, I'll, well, not not really. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah it, it, it does become harder. So I, I, I guess when, when you're taken to that place of just... Uh, when it's a high-pressure situation, such as being on stage, such as being on camera, I guess, in, in Radcliffe's case... Uh, I I can see where things have become much clearer and and, and where your your um your nervous system just kind of looks after looks after itself because it goes into survival mode, the fight or flight. So yeah, I I guess I can see that. But 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 it's also interesting that um like the the link with how something like acting or or you know, or, or dance or um or or some kind of sport like one particular activity that even actually does require like a lot of um physical coordination and. Uh, you know, because of course, acting—you have to hit your mark. You have to be spatial aware with that. You, mm. um, working on a film like Harry Potter, you can imagine all of the, all of the, you know, the, um, mm. the stunt work or. Oh, and and, and with and with singing, the posture and the breathing, mm. the timing—that yeah, that too. Um, or playing an instrument, even. Exactly, but if the interest is there, if, and if it's something you you really want to do, like I, I, I know in Radcliffe's case, it was it was because he didn't really he really struggled at school, so that was one of the reasons why he turned to acting. But but yeah, it's it's interesting how like something like tying up your shoelace, which I, I I've never really met anyone who's particularly passionate about <laughs> tying up shoelaces, um, can mm. can still become a difficulty. But you know, so, something that you really care about and are willing to devote a lot of effort towards. Um, hmm. Can actually, yeah, you 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 can actually um, can't handle all of the difficult coordination hmm. tasks with dyspraxia. Oh, well, I, I mean, well, I had I had an example of it last night. Actually, I I learned I heard a particular song last week that I wanted to sing at the Quiet Man last night, and I had a week to learn it. Unfortunately, it was in it was in Gaelic, which is not a language I'm particularly proficient in yet. Getting there. But of course, it's a very difficult language phonetically. So, I had to, yes, I had to learn how to pronounce the lyrics in a very short amount of time. And of course, I was not actually very particularly confident with them when I walked into the pub. But it, until, but when I opened my mouth, it was fine for the most part. Mm. Actually, yeah, I know. It's 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 curious how when you when you really need to do something well. When you really need to do something, you either are terrible at it, or or you are excellent at it. There doesn't seem to be much, no much gray in between. Area. Yeah, there doesn't mm. seem to be much in between there. You you either just completely, it's a, a total train wreck. All of a sudden, a, okay, this is the time, I've got mm. this. Exactly. Yeah, you can go from a train wreck to to a masterpiece very, very mm. odd, suddenly or mm. very sporadically. Indeed. Um, but anyway, I was I was very glad to hear about the, all of the. Um, all the articles and, and news stories that came out of Dad Radcliffe exposing his, his dyspraxia apparently did very well in educating people about it. Hmm. And, but yeah, it is, it is a very interesting condition. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's, it's something for him to be proud of, actually. Oh, um, yeah, many, many people are. Mm. Um, it, it just, yeah, many people are proud, proud dyspraxics because there's just... It, there's you know, there's also the side of well, people claim that apparently it makes you more creative. I don't know about that, but oh, no. but, it's, but look, does it does it uh, give you a slightly different way of thinking that yeah, makes an interesting person? Yeah, sure. Perhaps I don't, but it, I wouldn't say it makes you creative. The a person makes themselves creative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah. People have tried to prove that. I've never really bought it myself. Mm. Anyway, thank you very much for listening to myself, Christian, and myself, Daniel. Once again, you are with, guess who? 
Daniel and Christian. <laughs> so this time we'll be talking about what I can surmise is this idea that autism people in the autism community sometimes seem to have of uh, autism and autistic people being uh, an island, um, li- living on the, living on this island, living far away from everyone else in terms of life experience, in terms of ways of thinking, in terms of personality. Um, to, to the extent where sort of like the, the, the things that are common throughout the, the autism community, like thinking differently to the people around you, sometimes feeling like a bit of an outsider, uh, being more of a visual learner or more of a, a, a verbal learner, having, having very specific interests, like completely unique and utterly unique to the autism community. Well, they're not. They're not. Um, <laughs> they they certainly aren't. It's sim- it's as simple as that, really. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I guess I should maybe ground this and with, with a few examples. So, I think basically I'm I'm sort of talking about the the habit of taking like taking fictional characters. So all right, we were talking about Daniel Radcliffe earlier on. So let's let's continue with that. Um, the the idea maybe that someone like well, either that J.K. Rowling must have known something about autism to write. Harry Potter, or that Harry Potter might even be autistic, or it might be an autistic allegory, whatever, uh, because Harry feels like an outsider. There's certain experiences that he's had that um, other people haven't really had that his, well, that maybe that sharing with Voldemort mind thing means that his brain works very, at a certain point in the series, worked very differently. And yeah, just um, sort of, oh, I, I, maybe the, the bullying as well, but but yeah, just just um, sort of those those experiences that, yep, they're common in the autism community, but when people try to tell me that those are the reasons why autism and Harry Potter are so linked, I, I'm i pretty sceptical, I have to say, well, because that doesn't narrow it down in the slightest. Well, first of all, if someone's parents got murdered in front of them, whether or not they were two years old or not they're going to have experienced something most other people haven't. So Yes, and they're going to be dealing with something that most other people aren't going so, to be dealing yeah, with. Yeah, that and... has nothing to do with, with being on the spectrum. Chances <laughs> are if his parents weren't murdered in front of him, mm. he, he would be a very different yeah. sort of person with different experiences. And mm. who knows, he may have been bullied a lot, but lots of people get bullied. Yeah. When, when my older brother was in primary school, he got bullied for eating an egg sandwich. So really, there is... And I know, he, I know. People don't always have to find deep... Uh, dark reasons to bully someone. Like if they, if mm. I know if they're desperate, it can be something like an egg sandwich. Or yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wish I could be surprised about that. Mm. You anyway, you were saying. So I, I can't, I can't see. It. I mean, maybe the parcel mouth thing. Mm. Well, I mean, I guess there's. You could see that as a metaphor. He's able to communicate with snakes. Yeah. Whereas some and someone on the spectrum may be able to communicate with someone who most people wouldn't be able to. But I don't know. I don't. Somehow I don't. Think oh, that that was look. This is this is not unique to the spectrum. This could no. be like okay, that that could be hyperlexia, yeah. Um, which is yeah, this is sort of this uh, very precocious advanced ability to read and recognize words and with with coding and language that uh, is is present in, in some children is okay. Maybe not a very good example, like linked with autism, but but you know, it, um, okay, okay, being uh, being able to communicate with. I know, knowing knowing sign language, knowing some kind of not commonly spoken language, mm. uh, or being able to relate to, I know, um, ha- having a gift with animals. Mm. Yes, I know there is Temple Grandin who had a certain gift with empathy for animals, but 
That's... You don't have to be on the spectrum to no, have that. No, I don't think that had anything to do with their autism, to be honest. I mean, like, with someone like me, who for the most part can interact with non-autistic people and, <laughs> and often not and not come across like someone who's on the spectrum, but I can, I can communicate just as well with people who are on the spectrum, it may seem like I know two different languages almost, like two different social languages, but that's not... I don't think the snake thing, him knowing parcel mouth, was, was meant to be a metaphor for that. No, no, no. I... I... If you were to, if it's a question of like personal interpretation and personal significance, um, mm. then yes, I can see how you could you could connect with it in that way. But mm. yeah, plenty of other reasons. Like uh, okay, in terms of feeling like an outside and feeling feeling on the outer, and so like one one uh, explanation of Asperger specifically that I've heard <laughs> is like, uh, okay, well, it started off with like um, okay, imagine the world's a play. Yeah, it's one of those. Um, everyone has a script except you. Except people with Asperger's. What? Mm, That's no. And this could describe uh, newly arrived migrants who don't who are unfamiliar with the culture and the language of the country they've arrived in. This could describe adolescent <laughs> on the cusp of adulthood who's I don't know someone who's new to the business world. Oh. So any 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 sort of fish out of water scenario. Oh yeah, I mean, mm. or not just maybe not even a fish out of water. Someone someone who's overweight can get outcasted. Yeah. By groups of people, or just someone who's, who I don't know, who doesn't like popular genres of music, <laughs> and they listen, they listen to either classical music, folk music, or just even barbershop quartets. They listen to music that isn't as popular as I know. Uh, I know. Yeah. So the, uh, look, the the list the list goes on. Um, mm. And look, I I feel like this is an important thing to mention, not just because no, not not this isn't just a rant. Um, but this is basically because okay for the for the autistic community and, and also the wider neurodiverse community um, in, in, you know, in, in the search for understanding and the search for wider education for uh, a, an eventual society that will meet people with neurological differences halfway. Mm. You're making it so much harder for yourself if you're presenting it as this totally alien thing that occurs mm. on an island. Like, there, there are commonalities with other groups um, and not just the Queer community, I might add, like even though there are there are plenty of them, and that's you know that, that's certainly like a great group for the autistic community, the neurodiverse community to learn from. There are so many others. There there are so so many commonalities. Mm. Use them. You it makes the job so much harder if if you just ignore them. Yeah, I think I think we've made our point pretty clear now. I mean, so I guess the well the material point here is many people feel outcasted. Many people feel like outsiders for whatever reason, even someone who's really popular. I've, I, I've known people who were really popular at high school that, that felt outcasted. I, I mean, I even I knew someone who had an identical twin and he felt, he, he felt almost like people didn't see him as an individual because he had an identical twin. So, yeah, it's... And this person, I can tell you, he was not an outsider. Yet sometimes, sometimes I believe he did feel like he was an outsider, even though he clearly wasn't. Um, and that I, I, I guess is you know, look, perhaps probably something that autistic people who can hmm. pass for non-autistic, you know, yeah, they, 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 they probably can relate to that feeling like something that they don't seem. Well, that's not to say though that just because a character does feel like an outsider, that means that or people on the on the autism spectrum should be able to relate to them and. 
for whatever reason, even though, even if they're nothing like the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, look, accepting that as like one of the possible personal reactions or personal uh, interpretations or um, parallels you can draw is is is, is one thing. Um, but then you know, seeing it as as the only one or having it in your mind that this particular piece of film, theatre, literature, TV, whatever, mm. is like um, advocating your own pet cause. Well, is another thing. Well, I'll, I'll say one thing. I've heard a lot. Of, I've heard some people say that the character of Elsa from Frozen mm. was on the spectrum, but I don't think she was. She didn't seem like it. Yeah. But I. But I do like the idea that her powers were a metaphor for people who have a neurological difference, even though she didn't, her personality didn't come across yeah. that way, but her powers were a metaphor. I like that. I know, I know. But, but well, I definitely wouldn't say she was an Aspie. No, no, no. Okay, look, look. personally, I, I, I thought Elsa was sort of like a, I, I thought it was, I thought their powers were a bit like puberty. Um, like, you know, her, her having to reach this stage of emotional maturity of dealing with all of her emotions in a way that wasn't mm. destructive. But yeah, point, point being... Mm. She was a metaphor for it. She wasn't a character with it. Yes, exactly. Um, but I think we've made that point very clear. Thank you yep. very much for listening to myself, Christian. And myself, Daniel. I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. Hi, my name is Nicola, and you're listening to Great Minds Don't Think Like on Sin Nation. And this is my review on a YouTube video by Janogan about a video game theory on Super Smash Bros. and how it's about a young boy living with autism. At first when I saw this, and the title of the video, which is Ultimate Smash Bros Theory, Smash is Autistic, I thought it was talking about the fan base, which concerned me since I hate it when people use the word autism or autistic as an insult. But it turns out the video is not about the fan base at all. It's a theory about the Smash Bros series itself. Before I review the theory, I'm going to talk about the games themselves and my quick thoughts on them for people who have no idea about Super Smash Bros. Super Smash Bros is a fighting game series that currently has four games on four different Nintendo consoles. Super Smash Bros on the Nintendo 64, Super Smash Bros Melee on the Nintendo GameCube, Super Smash Bros Brawl on the Nintendo Wii, and last but not least, Super Smash Bros. for the Wii U and the Nintendo 3DS. It's pretty much a series of fighting games with famous Nintendo characters and sometimes certain third-party characters from other companies, such as Sonic the Hedgehog from Sega, Snake from Metal Gear Solid from a company called Konami, and even Mega Man from Capcom and Pac-Man from Namco in the recent one, which is amazing. The game series as a whole for me personally is one I always enjoyed ever since the first one. The gameplay is a lot of fun. It can make you learn slash know about some classic games and characters. I love the bonus content, especially in the recent one. Playing with friends is really good and is just one of my fave fighting games of all time. But now let's review the theory. The theory is about a young boy living with autism and growing up with Nintendo and Super Smash Bros, and it becomes a part of his creative routine. Along the way, he's growing up and developing in a lot of ways, along with his love for Smash Bros and Nintendo. I liked how Janogan did a lot of double-checking of research on autism and a whole bunch of things, which helped a lot for the theory. He even got his fiance to help with the research as well. 
which helps the theory itself make a lot of sense, and also relatable as someone with autism myself. Some of the things about the theory and about autism made it relatable, especially when it involved one of my fave video game series. I also enjoyed the story that involved a young boy and how he grew up with his love for Nintendo and living with autism. It showed development and other important things in the story. As if there's any flaws? Well, personally, I haven't found any, but that's just me, I guess. I wouldn't be surprised if people found flaws in the theory, though. Overall, I recommend checking out the theory on YouTube yourself. And you may be in for a surprise, especially if you're a fan of video games, Nintendo, and Super Smash Bros. itself. Just look up on YouTube, Ultimate Smash Bros. Theory, Smash is Autistic, Jinogan. And you may be in for a fun, great, amazing theory and video. This is Nicola Howe, and you're listening to Great Minds Don't Think Alike on Sin Nation. Have a great day, everyone, and smash on! Hi, everyone. You're listening to Daniel from Great Minds Don't Think Alike, and for this episode, I'll be reviewing a 1997 film called Niagara Niagara. Now, last week, you may remember Christian reviewed a film about a guy with Tourette syndrome called Front of the Class. Now, this is another film starring a character with Tourette syndrome, and this came out 11 years earlier, and it's the polar opposite of Front of the Class. This one is a far more melancholic film and portrays the condition in a much more negative light, unfortunately, but you can't expect a positive portrayal of, of the condition all the time. So this one, as I said, this came out in 1997, and I assume public knowledge of the condition was rather limited back then. Now, the character in this film has what seems to be a combination of Tourette's and OCD, or some kind of OCD. I wouldn't say it's just Tourette's that she's suffering from, but that's all that they say. Now, the film opens with some close-up shots of Niagara Falls, as you would assume from the title, Niagara, Niagara. So the close-up shots of Niagara Falls, we see the water rushing uncontrollably, much like the character's behaviour. She's she's unable to block her behaviour, she's unable to hold back, she's unable to block the words that come out of her mouth. Now, she's not the only main character. It's a duo film, but you could say it's a tragic romance. Basically, the two characters, Zeth and Marcy, they run into each other in a shop whilst shoplifting... And basically, they form an odd connection. They both seem to be outcasts. He seems to be unable to look at her when he talks or when she's talking to him, and she can't do that either. And so, yeah, they seem to have an odd connection. We notice things aren't really quite right about her, especially after he gives her a lift somewhere and she slams the door shut and swears at the same time, almost for no reason. And then, of course, we see what his home life is like. Zeph goes home to his father, who is very abusive towards him, and Zeph just seems to take it. He doesn't really seem to fight back. He doesn't argue back. He just lets his father hit him, shout at him for whatever reason, and, and order him around. And later on, the next time he sees Marcy, when they agree to go on a road trip from New York to Canada to buy a black bobby head, I believe, which she's always wanted, and it's very rare, apparently. She takes him to her house, and she seems to live in a cluttered old school bus outside of a mansion that her parents own and whilst they go whilst they start the road trip she she requests that they stop at a liquor store because she's thirsty which is a which is the first sign of some bad habits that this girl seems to have she she seems to require liquor just because she's thirsty when water would do just fine during this road trip very early on she admits she has Tourette syndrome and that she admits liquor helps 
and apparently so does sex. And of course they become a couple very early on in this road trip and she needs pills to control her condition. Now unfortunately she doesn't have a prescription for these pills so rather than having someone prescribe it for her she sticks the store up which turns out to be a very bad idea. Now in terms as far as her behaviours go her Tourette's she swears involuntary she talks, she can't really control her words, she, they just pop out of her. She has a head flick, which she tries to, to mask by, by brushing her hair back with her hand when she does it to make it look like an everyday activity. She flaps her arms and has acts of violence with very little provocation, which gets her into trouble during the course of the film. So now when they stick this, this drugstore up, Zeth gets shot by the owner because they do it at night and the owner comes in with a gun, he gets shot, and of course they have to they have to escape as quickly as they can, and they steal a whole lot of pills and they start taking them with alcohol, and eventually they dr- accidentally drive the car off the road and just end up in the middle of nowhere, and they get picked up by a strange man who tows their, tows their car, and he offers them shelter, offers them food, and he manages to, to nurse Zeth back to health, manages some, actually manages to teach him how to fish, despite Zeth having a fear of fish, and um, unfortunately it doesn't quite end well here, because Marcy's violent acts, she's quite a terrifying character in many ways, get the better of her. In, and mind you, this character that takes them in, I don't remember the actor's name, but the character's name is Walter, he, his wife has passed away, but he seems to love his chickens just as much as he loved his wife, it seems. He has a real love of chickens. Eventually, when they leave this guy, they eventually do get to Canada and they do find the store. I won't give away the ending. So I probably should have given you some spoiler, spoiler warnings because I might, have, I might have spoiled a bit, but that's as far as I'll say about the events happening in the film. What do I think of the film? This film was very confronting. I... I was shaking a lot during it. It was a very difficult film to watch. Now, Marcy, who's played by Robin Tunney, I think, I think that's how you pronounce her name, she was sometimes cute, sometimes funny, and sometimes terrifying. It was a very good performance and very consistent. All the all her acts seemed very consistent with her character. She did stupid things, but but of course it it didn't it wasn't for the convenience of the plot, and Seth, played by Henry Thomas, I think his name was. The he was the kid from E.T. back in nineteen eighty two. Now he plays it really well too. He developed into a really good actor. I now his character was interesting. He seemed to be neurodiverse as well, but the film never says what he has. But he, I would say, it was pretty clear he had something. Like he he never looked at people when when they talked to him. He didn't seem to. He also didn't seem to hold his words back, and he seemed to let people run all over him. He didn't really hold his own a lot of the time and so and and also what's really sad about the film is that all the trouble they get into is all over just finding a black bobby head it's kind of sad when you think about it do i think this was a good portrayal of Tourette's well to be honest i actually don't know a whole lot about Tourette's i'm learning it did play to the stereotype of swearing involuntarily which there's some truth to that from what i know but of course it's not universal but she does have uncontrollable tics which is very universal, but I think it's important to mention she does. She clearly doesn't just have Tourette's, or if she does just have Tourette's, it's a very bad case. Yeah, and obviously, as I said, this film came out when there probably wasn't much knowledge about the condition. 
so it probably wasn't the most accurate representation, but it was definitely something, and it was very interesting. It was very... It's not a condition you see portrayed very often, and I thought this... It was a very honest portrayal. I will say it was definitely very honest. I read Roger Ebert's review, and he felt... He liked the film, but he didn't... He felt it tried to confine itself to the typical road trip formula too much and that it didn't break free from it enough and that it didn't it didn't do its own thing, which I can kind of see, but I, th- I actually thought it, it worked really well and the chemistry between the two main characters was really good. I think Henry Thomas and Robin Tunney made a great couple and it's really sad what happened to them. So overall, I really liked the film, but it made me feel uncomfortable at times. It was very confronting. You need to be in a particular mood to watch this and unfortunately, this film has not come out on DVD or Blu-ray. It was released on VHS very late in the time of VHS back in 2010. So the only way to to find it is online, unfortunately. So anyway, I really like the film. I would recommend seeing it if you can. I would give it, I think I would give it three and a half stars out of five. Thank you for listening to me. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Daniel and Christian again. And now we're going to be talking about turning conversations into dances and how that's a problem with people on the spectrum learning better conversation skills. What's your opinion on this, Christian? Oh, so I'm, I'm guessing by turning a conversation into a dance, you you mean that it's very um, there's very specific steps involved. Mm. There's there's very like one person does this and it has to be in this certain synchronization and, and yeah. always in a certain order and it's very ritualistic. And if you you can't go off tempo and you can't go out of time with the mm. metaphorical music and if you if you make a misstep, that's brings the whole thing coming down. Yeah. Yes. Do you think that it's kind of, they're kind of taught that way? Do you think? Because I found with my experience of being taught conversation skills, which I'm pretty good at now, I found that was the case a lot of the time. Well, Hmm. I think you do need guidelines. Like this Hmm. this is sort of the the issue with some people, uh, like some people, autistic, neurodiverse, people who who struggle with conversation is that uh, if it it doesn't come naturally to you, you, you need like a... You need, you, need, you need a starting point. You need the basic a framework or, or just mm. of some some tricks up your sleeve. But you can't. I make, didn't even like that. that but you can't the, even make it. Too, you can't make it too rigid, though. No. Yeah. Oh, I know. That's that, that's a thing. And that, that's and that's such a common thing and pretty specific to very common in um, in autism. Actually, like you, you teach autistic kids the quote unquote rules of conversation. And then they notice that other people, shock horror, are not observing them. Like, uh, you know, a friend will go up to, someone will go up to a big group of friends at school and they won't say, hi, how are you? They'll just go straight to the, I just got into the soccer team. Woo. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and they'll say, ah, blah, 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 blah. the hi, how are you? There's the greeting. There's the acknowledgement of the other person's health and well-being. And then you have to lead gently into your topic. You can't just go straight into something that other people, without any context, well, um, well, 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 you okay, can, well, but um, you can at times. Like what I felt is in high school when I was, whenever I listened to on the train to other people's conversations, I just thought it sounds so free for all. There's no rules at all. They were almost just saying random bullcrap almost. Oh, oh, yes, gosh, mm. especially when you listen to other people's conversations. Because okay, mm. well, I I retract what I said there about. Mm. Well, yeah, okay. Well, some people say, oh, you have to give context. Well, the mm. context is often just how well you know the other person. So mm. it probably does sound like random nonsense to you. But mm. to them, because they've got all the backstory, oh, all the yeah. jokes and stuff. But, you, yeah, you are, you're also right on the other front. Like, uh, oh, don't, think, don't say something stupid. Don't, don't talk about insignificant things. 
Really? Well, often those are the most interesting um, sometimes. Yeah, or well, not just that, but like um, that, that, that is, it's sort of this double thing of, okay, don't talk about things that no one else cares about. Um, or, oh. But conversation is, is often about the most banal of things and the, you know, the, most, um, the most specific to you. And you know, people, people talk about in great detail their day, why they were late, how mm. they missed that train and what their breakfast was. Well, I mean, it, I think it also depends if it's a group conversation or a one-on-one conversation. I would say the rules apply more to one-on-one conversations as opposed to group conversations because if you listen to group conversations, you, you get a lot of people talking over one another, which I really don't like it when people do that. Though I do enjoy group conversations, but I'm I'm someone who likes to, to finish what they have to say before someone else talks, and I try to give that courtesy to others as yeah, well. Yeah, I, I know, I know. But but I, I, I guess what I've really re- learned is that in, in good conversations, basically you can't take it too seriously. You have to sort of accept that you're not going to get to finish what you say necessarily because the group has just mm. moved on. If it's which, a group, yes. Yeah, yeah, um, which can be... Because it's so difficult to keep track of everyone completing their turns, so you just kind of have to have to roll with it. Um, where I would say you'd have to, where I where I would really really get annoyed if is if I either I constantly get cut off or I've barely gotten to say anything, um, or if I I just can never get the word in. Yeah. And, if if the turn taking is just wholly uneven, unless someone has a really interesting story to tell, but you know if if it's just all right, I want to tell you about my day for five minutes, and now it's your turn. Oh, yeah, that sounds interesting. Well, all, I would actually now I, I want to talk about the day before now. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, let me let me say one thing. I mean, I I do actually have a friend who actually has trouble keeping track of group conversations, and because of that, he cuts people off quite a lot. And at first I got really irritated by this, but to be honest, it's kind of understandable. Otherwise, he'd never get to talk. But also, if it's a situation where in a group conversation I'm talking and everyone was quiet and listening and then one person just suddenly cuts me off and is saying something that had no relevance to what I was saying, well, then, yes, that is going to annoy me to, to high heaven, really. Oh, yeah. I would say that that is then you're bordering on just being plain rude at that point. So I think there is a fine line. Yes, you're not going to get to finish everything you're going to say. People are going to cut you off. But if everyone's being quiet and listening to you and one person just talks over you really loudly and is saying something completely different, then I think think that's just – then you're being rude, I think. I suppose. But Mm – then again, I, I I also get slightly annoyed by the the different rules that come in with that. Like there there are, there are times when maybe it's because I haven't really been talking for that long when other people have been quiet. But you know, like um, someone else will come into the group and they'll suddenly be excited to see that person. And in that case, it's perfectly acceptable to you know, just completely shut down what I was saying and and um and greet them mm-hmm. and you know whatever. And that's I'm and I sort of go okay, that's fine. But then uh, I think this might have been the same group, but. Uh, yeah, there's this the same group of people. Um, you know, like I, I didn't happen to walk up to. I, I didn't happen to be that. You know, that person who had just arrived, and they came up and they're sort of going, "Oh, hi, hi," and they're like, "Shh, yeah, yeah, okay." Like I'm um, sort of silently acknowledging me, but like, "Oh, we're, we're listening to this person talk." I'm like, "Oh, okay," but I'm the person who's just arrived now. Don't mm. I get special privileges for being the person that's recently arrived? How does this work? Um, um, I personally don't think so, but that's just me. Mm. Oh, I know, I know. Mm. But I, I was just, like, they always talk about social rules, social conventions. Mm. So I thought that might have been a convention. Like, yes. 
Not not as in a, I'll okay, completely ignore what they just like. Not as in never get back to what that person was saying. But mm-hmm. I thought like, okay, if I've just arrived, am I entitled to like a hi, hi guys, hi Christian? Oh yeah, you're and entitled then, to that. Yes. Yeah. Um, whereas um, I started to do that, but even that seemed too much. It was like, oh no, this person's in the middle of what they're saying. Can't, you can't. We can't do the whole hi, hi. We're just hearing from so and so about blah blah blah. Well, uh, actually, a funny story I have relating to this topic. I remember it was on camp actually, and I was I was meeting a couple of people for the first time, and we were thinking we we're all going oh, okay, this is awkward. Who's going to say what and when? And I and I just said oh come on, you don't want to ha- have rigid rules in a conversation, otherwise it just becomes a oral dance. And and I, and I said and they've asked how so? Well, one person says this, this person says that. That's per- this person then claims this, and so. This person steps here, this person steps there, this person twirls around, this one grabs your hand, and then one person said, and then said to me, that was the worst come on I've ever heard, if, if that's what it was meant to be. And I just thought, what are you on about? This wasn't... He thought I was hitting on one of the girls. Oh, okay, all right. Um, <clears throat> well, yeah, it's, it's interesting that you say that, because like the, the times I have... This is when I like um, to work with high school students on the spectrum. I've been sort of looking up, okay, I need to learn social skills. Are there any good resources out there for teaching people social skills? Half of them were uh, dating related. Mm. There's sort of that. That's why I stopped because so many of them like horribly shallow. Like, okay, you have to present yourself in this certain way. Like, forget who you really are. You have to, you have to try and make people laugh. And you, no one cares about this about you, but people want to hear about this. And it was just. No, that's really silly. It's just a horrible reminder of how awfully shallow people can be. Oh yeah, I mean there was, I mean there was an episode of Scrubs, I think, where Elliot was saying to JD, you know, you don't have to pretend to be someone else. Every time you go on a date with a girl, you actually are an amazing guy as yourself. That's why I fell in love with you. Yeah, mm. yeah. It's it's a, it's a it's a cliche, but it's true. Like it's exhausting to keep up an act for for. Yeah, for the, the length of the entire relationship, that's going to oh, end badly. For, oh, absolutely, but. I would say, in a way, your social life kind of is an act. I would say, for me, sometimes I, I act differently to different people. There is no definitive oh, yeah, me. Oh, yeah, Well, as yeah. long as they're all, like, versions of yourself. Yes. You know, not, not, not complete fabrications. Oh, absolutely. I agree completely mm. there. Mm. And so, yeah, I think conversations... I don't... I think making really rigid rules is a bad thing, I think. But they're good to begin with. I understand making small rules to begin with, but if you don't follow them completely, that's not a big deal. I would say. Yeah. It's basically just to give you something to work from mm. if you're completely lost. So thanks very much for listening to Daniel and Christian. Hi, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode. We've come to the end. But thank, Yeah, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed all of the interesting discussions and Daniel's mm. great v- review of Niagara, Niagara there. Uh, mm. Please, uh, if you have, like we said at the start of the episode, if you have not done so, like our Facebook page. Um, the Facebook Twitter page com. as well. And read our blog. And feel free to send something... To, to write something on our own blog yourself if you're under 30. Yes, gmdta.media at gmail.com. Any short stories, poems, plays, essays, hmm. any, anything in written form that relates to neurodiversity that offers your unique perspective on it, we would love to have. Thank you very much for listening to us this fortnight. We'll be back as, as we always are in two weeks' time. Yep, tune in in two weeks' time. Mm-hmm.